You 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 know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the F E A. You you know I D I D in the D in the town all day. I D I D in the D in the F E A. Our Let's Remember Some Years segment sponsored by Pagliacci Pizza. Our friends at Pagliacci Pizza turns its attention to 2009. Because Pagliacci is all about redemption. And so is 2009? Yeah, it was really the bounce back year after the terrible sports year that was 2008. And 2009 featured one of my favorite days ever as a sports fan. March 19th, 2009, a Thursday when, during the afternoon, the Huskies beat Mississippi State 71-58 in the opening round of the NCAA tournament in Portland at 2 p.m., followed at 6 p.m. by the Sounders playing their inaugural MLS match against the New York Red Bulls and winning 3-0 with the fabulous Pelton brothers in attendance. That whole day was awesome. Like... I I think I took the entire day off work and it was like watching that basketball game and then traveling to the Sounders match. I don't think we really knew what to expect. I mean, we'd been no. to the couple of USL games where there was an exciting experience, but like being at the first ever Sounders match, the experience was different, you know? And I think that us plus a lot of people throughout Seattle were totally intoxicated by it. They won that match 3-0, if I recall correctly. Yeah, that's what I just said. Oh, okay. Uh, it was a, a dominating performance, and it was like, oh, this is a really good soccer team right here from the very beginning. And it, it, like shortly thereafter, I think we went out and got season tickets for the rest of the year. Yeah, it was like second half season tickets. Like that, what we experienced that day, it was like, we need a lot more of this. Because it was great, and... I mean, it was so amazing how they were able to fill that void immediately after the Sonics left. And obviously, they don't fill the void completely of not having basketball. But for a lot of people in the city of Seattle, having the Sounders show up at that time was like, it it was a little bit healing for us as sports fans. It was perfect timing. And of course, you had the other thing that year that Kevin Calabro had gone from calling Sonics games to calling Sounders games that first season. Uh as, as hard as it may seem to believe in hindsight that he was calling soccer matches. Uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned the two U.S. Open Cup games that they had played uh, the previous two years where they had reached the semifinals, and those were a lot of fun, but there was like a few thousand fans at those games. This was, they capped the season ticket sales at 22,000. There were, you know, 30,000 plus in the stadium. They could certainly have sold more, but they didn't want to open the upper deck and have empty seats up there at that point. That was kind of their philosophy, which eventually they changed and and sold a lot more tickets. Um, The other interesting thing, I talked about this when the Sounders hosted the MLS Cup, hosted MLS Cup, because it seemed like a culmination in many ways of what started back in 2009. Like the whole thing back then was like, oh, yeah, everybody's excited about this team because it's new and they're an expansion team. But there's no way they're gonna. this many people are going to keep following the Sounders. And then it, not only did that many people continue, more people jumped on the bandwagon, which was uh, entirely unexpected. All right, so let's talk about UW men's basketball, which experienced its own bounce back after two years out of the NCAA tournament, got back as the number four seed. Uh, were buoyed by the long-awaited arrival of Tacoma product Isaiah Thomas after a year in prep school. And Thomas really made everything click. 
he came in and played point guard that moved Justin Dentman off the ball. And after two years of struggling as a point guard, he enjoyed the best season of his career as a shooting guard. Has since gone on to a really long professional career. Uh, Quincy Pondexter, as a junior, came into his own during conference play. And uh, after starting two and three, two of those losses coming to National Powers Kansas and Florida in a tournament in Kansas City, the Huskies won 13 of their next 14 and finished 14 and four in Pac-10 play. <clears throat> they were upset by a James Harden-led Arizona State team in the semifinals of the Pac-10 tournament, but still got to stay home in the Pacific Northwest for the NCAA tournament. They cruised past a Mississippi State team led by shot blocker extraordinaire Jarvis Venardo that won the SEC tournament to become the, the 13th seed uh, in an oddity before losing 76-74 to Purdue in the second round despite 20-plus points from all of Pondexter, Thomas, and John Brockman, who was playing his final UW game, had two potential tying shots in the final minute of that one blocked by Jawan Johnson, and that prevented them from moving on. The winner of that game was going to play top seed UConn in the Sweet 16, which, as you know, definitely would have ended well for UW. <laughs> I can't remember if this is when uh, people on, you know, the Dogman forums that I frequent started hating on Isaiah Thomas for dribbling the ball too much or being a ball hog. But I know that happened at some point. And I remember being very angry at those people. Um, as you should have been. I feel like that probably was more likely during his sophomore season because, like, he was just so exciting as a freshman, especially, you know, like the team had been so disappointed the previous two years. You would be surprised what people hate, though. Um. <laughs> I, I would not be. <laughs> I expect it. You would be surprised what people hate. But uh, do you remember when James Harden uh, went into the league? Did you think he was going to be as good as he turned out to be so it's interesting i i have a friend who i talk basketball with and really respect his opinion a lot and we've disagreed about two prospects in particular that came into the league is like high picks uh and he thought they weren't athletic enough and i was like they remind me of brandon roy with the way they play and the the way they're under control and you know control of the game and one of those guys was james harden which i was right about and the other was evan turner which <laughs> i was not right about uh, so yeah, I was pretty high on Harden coming into the league. I thought he was going to be really good. I didn't think he was going to be an MVP. I didn't did not expect this. Didn't you like him, Tristan? Uh, not that much. I I think you're thinking oh. of Nick Young. Oh, maybe yeah, that is <laughs> weird. My, my dude. <laughs> Love Nick Young. Uh, but I remember we went to go see Arizona State because we were graduated from college and didn't have season tickets anymore at this point. And we this was the his last time playing in Seattle, right? Correct. <clears throat> and I remember we were in the, like, the ra- the end zone, the rafters, where we sit, and seeing him in the corner, like, nailing a lefty three in front yeah. of us, and I was just like, oh, that guy is good. <laughs> I think he had a pretty monster game against the Huskies in that game against ASU. I, w- I don't have that specifically but i would imagine so he he i remember there was a lot of like darnell gant was guarding him <laughs> oh point. my god darnell gant <laughs> which that's a lot to ask for darnell gant yeah when Boy. you think back on that like the trajectories of the two oh very different <laughs> <laughs> how do you not have coupon on james harden like the, 
the Huskies probably had one of the best possible players in all of college basketball to defend James Harden, and they were like, Gant's got it. I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Harden did not actually have a big game in Seattle that year. 19 points on 7 of 19 shooting. Jordan-like, almost. <laughs> <laughs> Darnell Gant was his, was his glove. All right. <laughs> His big game against the Huskies was in the Pac-10 tournament, like I mentioned. That was uh, he really keyed that victory. I remember I wrote a I wrote a column about that one for Basketball Prospectus. Twenty-four points, nine rebounds, seven of thirteen from the field, seven of nine from the line. I just think I remember seeing him in front of us, no beard, knocking down a lefty three, and I think he drove and hit the like lefty dunk from the baseline. It was like, well, that is there's just not normal things to see a college player do. No. So all in all, a good year, despite a, just like falling a little bit short of where they could have made it to the Sweet 16 that year. Uh, the Sounders, they debuted as contenders, starting with that win against the Red Bulls. Won their first three matches that season without conceding a goal. Freddie Montero was named the MLS Player of the Month for March with three goals in the first two games. The Sounders that year would win their first U.S. Open Cup 2-1 at D.C. United after winning four matches in the run at Starfire Stadium in Tequila. Uh, midseason hosted friendlies against both Chelsea, a 2-0 loss, and FC Barcelona, a 4-0 loss, with Messi scoring a pair of goals in that one, which was a lot of fun to attend. Uh, lots of draws midseason for the Sounders, including a stretch of five in a row, but then they finished with three consecutive wins to take third in the Western Conference in their inaugural season. Montero behind a team-high 12 goals from Freddie Montero. Then in the conference semifinals, lost one nothing after extra time to number two seed Houston uh, in that one. Uh, then the MLS Cup was played that year at Quest, the Den Quest Field, with Real Salt Lake beating the LA, beating LA Galaxy on PKs. Pretty fun stretch, also. Where it's like I think that sound, the playoff match was on Halloween, if I recall correctly. And no, we had I think tickets. You're thinking, no, you're not thinking of the right year. We didn't go to that game. That was this was another year. year that it was on Halloween. Yeah, that was a different year. Uh, I just remember them playing a really frustrating playoff match on Halloween. Well, so we, for, for a long period of time, most of the Sounders' playoff games were pretty frustrating. We didn't. We had season tickets, but didn't go to the playoff match. I don't remember going to the playoff. I mean, maybe you did, uh, but it wasn't. I don't the think one you were. On, there it's not the one us. you're thinking of. It was on. It was on October 29th, so I guess it was around Halloween. Huh. Uh, well, and then also leading into, I just remember, like, we had started realizing just how long the MLS season was this year, because <laughs> we got those season tickets in May or June or whatever, and it's like, yeah, we'll just go to these Sounders matches over the summer, and then all of a sudden we were missing a lot of them because of Husky football games, right. and it was like, how long does this sport play for? And then finally we found ourselves on November 22nd at the MLS Cup Final, and it was oh, like, so oh, cold. okay. This this league lasts for all time. It is a 24-month sport. It lasts for more than a year. What wouldn't you give right now to have a sport that lasts for an entire <laughs> I year? Mean, <laughs> I mean, this MLS season may last for 24 months. Some of these seasons, the NBA season, who knows? Uh, you're thinking, of, I believe, of the 2010 season they played at home on Halloween. And I think we bought tickets in the uh, 200 level for that we one. We did. Yeah, which and they that was at the point where they were all inclusive tickets. Yes, we got a lot of nachos. 
yeah, yeah, solid number of nachos. But we will remember that in 2010. <laughs> Katie was there. Do you remember this at all, Katie? No idea. I have no idea what you're talking about. What? <laughs> <laughs> Never even heard of the sport. <laughs> it was a fun game because the weather was like not bad. It was probably cold, but it was very. It was completely clear that night. I so. being a you really guys, I had the unlimited nachos. Yeah, you were there. You were eating nachos. We had hot dogs, nachos. Ben was there. Really? Yeah, this was your life. Mm, no, no recollection. <laughs> Well, maybe you'll recall this one, which is UW f- football hiring Steve Sarkeesian is the replacement for Tyrone Willingham. He was introduced on December 8th, 2008. Uh, the Huskies, they, they eased him in by hosting number 11 LSU in their opening game, but had a respectable 31-23 loss in that one, then beat Idaho in their next game to snap the nation's longest losing streak at 15 games before hosting number three USC. And Sark's mentor, Pete Carroll. The Huskies win that game 16-13 on Eric Folk's field goal in the closing seconds, beating backup quarterback Aaron Corp, who started due to injury. And fans then storm the field. Hello! I mean, that game was huge. Beating USC after going a year without a victory. It's like Sark was anointed in yeah. that moment. And USC of all teams, they they were the team of the 2000s, not in just the Pac-10, but across the country. And so beating them, Sark's former mentor, like, the whole experience was incredible. I mean, whatever else happened the rest of the season, particularly in the desert, Sark's team's always got up for USC. (laughs) There was always a little side of the extra. So the Huskies were actually ranked after that win for the first time since 2003 before getting blown out by Stanford 34-14 by 200 yards from Toby Gearhart. Saw Toby Gearhart. Yeah. That's like one of the most memorable viewing experiences ever for me because that game was on Fox College Sports, and it was the broadcast where Sean Farnham referred to the University of Washington as being in Bellevue. That was that one. Oh, oh, yeah. It sure was. It 100% was. We watched that at Katie's house in Bellevue. I do remember that now. Yeah. Home yeah. of the Washington Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We were right there on campus in Bellevue. I would have guessed that it was – I didn't realize it was Sean Farnham. I thought that was Papas Papadopoulos who said that. No. No, it was, Farnham was doing play-by-play at that point before going back to doing color on basketball games. <laughs> and his explanation was when he was at, he played at UCLA on the basketball team, and they always stayed in Bellevue when they went and played at UW, and he did not realize they were crossing a bridge to get to the arena. <laughs> oh, so, dear. So the next week, Huskies continue. U- UCLA game's very nice in the Inland Empire. <clears throat> uh, very difficult schedule uh, that you play at Notre Dame, lose 37-30 to in a game where... They were leading 24-22 to 22 and then ran seven plays from either the one or two without scoring before settling for a field goal with 3.04 left in regulation and then went on to lose that one in the extra session. Uh, that, was, then, that was devastating. I mean, having, again, a year after not winning a game, being in the position to beat Notre Dame on the road... In right. South Bend and having those seven plays, it's like, just punch the fucking ball in. Come on. <sighs> so then they lost four in a, in a row at one point 
during Pac-12 play. Was this the Arizona State game? Was that the one we were at the Jay-Z concert? I'm pretty sure this was, yes. Uh, tied 17-17, they give up a 50-yard touchdown pass with five seconds left. That was that was a real ugly finish. The desert was always rough for Sark. This wasn't the year of the, the squats, though. No, that was, the, the squats was a daytime game. This was a night game. We, okay. we like, DVR'd it and watched it after we came back from the Jay-Z concert or something. That's my vague Where recollection. Were we, dr- we were at Ozzy's drinking before the Jay-Z concert. Might and have then, been, uh, no, not Aussies. It was, you know, the the other place, Buckley's. We were at Buckley's before. I'm pretty sure we were at Buckley's. Uh, and then we went. We went to go see Hove. Was this the year that I, I think I forgot to mention? When did I work for the Storm? <laughs> uh, I think it was. It might have been then. I mean, it definitely was. was. I went to Vegas to see Jay Z. Before this, it was summer. It might have been 2008. I guess it would have been 2009. Yes, you. I have the T. Pelton at stormbasketball.com email address from 2009, so that appears. There we go. Wow. The summer you were working So anyway, the, the storm. Seattle Storm had an excellent year. Well, oh, we're going to get to them later. You can bring that up <laughs> later. So the Huskies finish out Pac-12, Pac-10 play at the time, actually, with back-to-back blowout home wins, beating Wazoo in the Apple Cup 30 to nothing, and then running rush shot over number 19 Cal in a 42 to 10 victory, with fans chanting one more year for Jake Locker, who went 19 of 23 for 248 yards and three touchdowns, with 77 yards and two touchdowns on the ground in that one. Wow. Uh, it, it would be we, less than like nine months later that somebody yelled "Burn your jersey" at your Jake Locker jersey. Look, we're going to talk about that in 2010. Yeah, but people were so <laughs> excited about Jake coming back at that point, and then they got their wish. And be careful what you wish for; you just might get it. Do you guys remember being super excited about Sark, or is that just me? Oh, I mean, yeah. I, of course. Yeah, he was an exciting up-and-coming coach. I mean, I wanted them to hire Mike Leach at the time, but I was certainly excited about Sark. Look, there was a lot I did not know about Mike Leach back then. So much. Oh, Lord. That wouldn't have worked out. (laughs) He was just the quirky coach who ran an innovative offense. (sighs) He couldn't have come here. He's still, still reeling after the 2008 election. (laughs) <laughs> just this like a thought experiment like what if we had hired him and he recruited really well and actually somehow had a defense and had the same offense that he you know I mean they would probably have lost every big game because you know for the same reason that you'd have always beat Wazoo in the Apple Cup but yeah. I mean I think it, I think he would have been successful I know I don't think he would have done poorly I think he probably would have been miserable Oh, I think he would have loved it, but I think certain Husky fans would have been miserable. Uh, <laughs> this is his people aren't here. His, his people are not here. <laughs> uh, maybe he would have moved you up to Bellevue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> further east, uh, you know. I remember the bark for Sark T-shirts that all the frat kids oh, had right. that year. Yeah. I'm still excited exciting. about Sark. Like I, I don't feel yeah. like the negativity about Sark. I don't. It, he brought us back. Like no matter what happened in the end with Sark, which really wasn't ultimately that bad. You know, like nothing really that bad happened when he was at UW. He was the person who brought the program back. 
He was the person who put them in the position to be able to hire Chris Peterson. Like, Chris Peterson wasn't taking over that job for Tyron Willingham. No. I mean, I think it also was just a different time for Chris Peterson. I, uh, I mean, I, I think Sark's tenure is overrated to the extent that, like, they weren't oh, that much different. He definitely inspired hope in the fan base, and that was an important thing at that time. And he changed recruiting, I think. Yeah. That first recruiting class was not good. I looked that up for as part of remembering this year, and they did not get anyone that year. Wasn't it a bridge recruiting class, though? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, he took over in December. He took over a team that went 0-12. I'm not blaming him. I mean, some of the recruiting classes that Sark had were excellent. Of course, yeah. I mean, there was a lot of the talent that was on the team that went to the uh, playoff. So, yeah. I mean, I, I have nothing negative to say about well, I, have, I guess I may have some negative things to say. But I, overall, I think Sark's t- tenure in, on Montlake was a success. Sark did nothing wrong. Well. You know. Uh, so the Mariners. <laughs> you know. <laughs> They brought back Ken Griffey Jr. in 2009. The groundwork for his return was laid by his 2007 trip back to Safeco Field Is a visiting player with Cincinnati during interleague play, during which he went 5 of 13 with two home runs. And you know, I remember like that was one of the games I was Mariners games I was most excited to watch in the last 15 years was like Griffey's first game back in Seattle. He was still with Cincinnati in 2007? Yeah, he did not get traded to Chicago until 2008 for the stretch run, and then after that, signed with the Mariners. I thought he played for Atlanta at some point. No, that is not K- the case. Kegrefee Jr. never played for the Braves. No. Really? I mean, unless I really missed something here. I'm unless completely I'm forgetting making some this years. up. I think you are. <laughs> Senior might have played for the Braves. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> We'll see what Baseball Reference has to say about this. And then if they don't say it, I'll say that they're lying. <laughs> it's a Mandela effect? <laughs> wow, I really remember King Griffey Jr. being on the Braves. So the only other team he played for, and he played a shortened season with the White Sox, so he basically only played for the Mariners and the Reds. Correct. I just, dude, God, he just does not like major markets. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was his hometown in Cincinnati, so that was that was the appeal. Uh, he signed with the Mariners in February, a little more than nine years after his trade to the Reds. At age 39, playing primarily DH, hit just 214 with 19 home runs and a respectable 735 ops. And the M's went back up on their late 2000s roller coaster, winning 24 more games than the previous season under the new regime of GM Jack Zarensic and there manager Don Wakamatsu. Felix Hernandez went 19-5 and with a 2.49 ERA, finishing second in Cy Young voting at age 23. In less positive news, the Seahawks were one and done with Jim Elmora, who was the designated successor for Mike Holmgren after serving the previous year as assistant head coach in the secondary. The Seahawks won their opener 28-0 over St. Louis, but then lost five of their next six games, a stretch that was highlighted by a 25-19 home loss to Chicago and the debut of action green uniforms. Though that version, I think it was the only time they ever wore in that one, wasn't it? Like they sold, those were the ones with like the blue sleeves and they sold a shit ton of those trees because everyone was so excited about them, but they played so terribly in that game. They never wore them again. So Seneca Wallace was at QB in that game. Oh gosh. And 
That was the game where Lindo Mora missed two makeable field goals from 34 and 43 yards. And after the game, Mora lit into him and lost me forever. <laughs> Nobody was more upset about that than you. <laughs> I mean, that would have been a uh, area of grievances for sure. If they we had were a doing pivot, the podcast we could, in we Retro an, emer- an emergency pod about the Alindo Mare game. I don't think I'm going to have to do like... that. <laughs> we got some time on our hands. Oh, sports for so long, you're going to have to go back and recreate emergency pods. <laughs> there are worse ideas, as it turns out. <laughs> uh, Jim Mora is sort of like the anti-Sark in a lot of ways, where it's like... the. I have nothing but bad memories about Jim Mora. And he was, he was anointed, right? Like his dad was on the 91 championship team. Is that right? Or was he on it? I don't think either of them. Uh, his dad had previously coached under Don James and, and Jim Elmore was a walk-on player on the team in the eighties, but I don't, okay. I don't think anyone was around by 91. Jim, but, the older Jim Mora, Jim, I think E. Mora was coaching the Saints by 91. Oh, well, good for him. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, that but, was pretty good for him. That was, he was like the most successful coach in Saints history until Sean Payton got there. Well, that's something. But as somebody who was homegrown, who we were always pining for, Maybe never was actually a very good coach and just kind of lucked into Mike Vick for a couple of seasons. But he was like, Jim Mora was the one who got away for so long. And definitely, as you talk about being careful what you wish for, like Jim Mora coming back to Seattle was such a failed experiment. And then him choosing to take the UCLA job over UW when UW definitely dodged a bullet with that one. It was well, like, not over UW. UW wasn't open at the time he took the UCLA job. Sark was there. Or chose not to come to UW or whatever. But, like, yes. the, I feel like Jim Mora has just, he's done really nothing but wrong since the moment that he said that he would consider leaving the Falcons. This was for the UW job at the time, right? On that KJR? is correct. yes, yes. From that very moment, I mean, we were so excited about the idea of Jim Moore coming and being the UW coach. Because, again, times were bleak at that time period. But but also, you're forgetting how good he was at UCLA at the start. Like, those recruiting classes were amazing. He kept getting guys from Bellevue, like Miles Jack. <laughs> Sean, Sean Farnham's home. <laughs> <laughs> he goes deep in Bellevue. Sean, Sean, I mean, you know, Sean Farnham was a UCLA guy. It made sense. He was helping him recruit in Bellevue. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, UW will never get another locally grown player ever again because Jim Moore is out there. <laughs> it really was a, a thought at the time. Yeah. But so. it's just, the, the whole thing, <clears throat> everywhere he went, it's just, I mean, this is it's like this with a lot of coaches. It He failed so much faster as the head coach of the Seahawks than I think any of us anticipated, though. And to be an experienced NFL coach who's coached in the playoffs. Like, Jim Moore wasn't a joke when he was the coach of the Seahawks, or at least prior to being the coach of the Seahawks. And that was it. He was done. Like, that one season, it felt like everybody around the NFL was like, all right, this dude is not ready to be an NFL coach. I mean, it's weird that it was a one-season tenure. Like, you you don't usually see that when people were so excited about someone going in. I mean, oddly, one of the other coaches who had a one-and-done tenure... Pete Carroll with the uh, Jets. Sometimes the fit just isn't right. 
yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, you know. The, I think you have to give a lot of respect to Paul Allen and the front office at the time for recognizing that Jim Moore was just not right to be the head coach of the Seahawks and to get him out as quickly as possible. And also recognizing that there was this opportunity to go get an exciting college coach and bring him to Seattle. Did that happen in 2009 also? Or is that 2009? Uh, it technically happened in 2010. Moore okay. was fired on January 8th. So we'll talk about that. Uh, but he, I mean, the other part of it was financial. Uh, Moore had 12 million left on his contract when he was fired. And then they go out and make Pete Carroll, like maybe one of the, you know, probably two or three highest paid coaches in the NFL. So Paul Allen stepped to the plate there for sure. But uh, we'll talk more about that in 2010. It was, but the, the, the one season tenure, like I think the Alindo Mari thing, it's weird because, you know, really throwing a kicker under the bus is kind of, and he ultimately didn't cut him, which would have been a huge mistake. But the thing, Olino Mari was more respected than Jim Mora was. Whereas, like, there are certain kickers that you probably could have thrown under the bus, but Olino Mari wasn't it. Like, he was a respected, seemed like teammate and member of the Seahawks. And Jim Mora just didn't have, he didn't have the clout to be able to do that so early on. Right? And he just, like... He, he acted like people respected him more, and he was throwing somebody else in the bus, and it was like, it's not going to happen, dude. And I think that ultimately really affected his tenure with the Seahawks. It certainly did, in my mind. Like, just the process of that, the logic behind it is <laughs> so galling to me. Uh, I was out on Jim Mora forever. Were you ever in on Jim Mora, or were you out on him prior? I can't really remember how I felt about him at the start of 2009. That's a, so long ago. <laughs> I I probably didn't have any strong feelings either way. How? What was the the vibe of the message boards of of the dogman boards on Jim Moore, Katie? Um, I thought they were mad at him, but I don't remember when it was. But very mad at him for not coming to UW. But I don't remember when that was. I mean, that was when we hired Coach Pete. So. Uh, but I think an. Before that point, they definitely wanted. I mean, you can go back in the Peltoncast well, archives and listen to the Sark goes to USC oh emergency pod. Do oh, one of my personal favorites, where Third Pelton brother Chris Smith advocates <laughs> fiercely for Jim Mora to be the next head coach. He was not there. as upset about the Illinois situation as you were. <laughs> no, no, clearly not. I'm, I'm sure I talked about the Illinois thing on there. It really irked me. He probably would have released Eric Folk before he could have kicked that field goal. Well, really makes you think. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, that, that is a strange, strange year in Seahawks history. I mean, because, you know, for the last two decades, there haven't been that many teams that have had so few coaches. And the Seahawks went from this one super long tenure of a head coach to this one random year in between to another super long tenure of a head coach. Yeah, it's like if the Steelers had had someone for one year in between Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin. But they didn't. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I, I guess you do have to say, though, this season and the losing in the season set them up for that first draft class that, you know, Pete and John as the new regime really knocked out of the park with the Earl Tom. Where did they get that draft pick from, the second first round pick? They had traded their second round pick in 2009 to Denver 
for a first round pick in 2010. God. One of the in the second round pick it was like I want to say Alfonso Ford, but Alfonso Ford was a briefly member of the Sonics. Uh, I thought that was, was his name too. Something isn't it a cornerback? I think his name is Alfonso. It might be like Alfonso Smith. And so the Broncos just needed Alfonso Smith, but they were willing to give up what ended up being the 13th pick in the draft, I want to say. Yeah, Alfonso Smith was the 37th pick, and he lasted like one season with the Broncos. (laughs) (laughs) It's so ridiculous. They traded that guy and could have had Earl Thomas. Man. But yeah, this, this season set the Seahawks up. I mean, you have to say that part of their core of the, you know, what became the Super Bowl winning team eventually was definitely, you know, offensively on the offensive line, Russell Okung, and then defensively having Earl Thomas as the center field of that defensive backfield. Man, uh, the the Seahawks rewatch last week was uh, the game against, uh, I mean, it was a game where they got torched defensively and Earl Thomas got badly beaten on one of those plays, but their their victory against Deshaun Watson and the Texans in Deshaun Watson's rookie season. And it was the last game ever. Earl Thomas gets hurt at the end of that game on Deshaun Hopkins, a long touchdown that the Seahawks yeah, had to come Hopkins. back from. <clears throat> yes. Uh, it was the very last play. Ben, ben B. pointed out that Thomas, Sherman, and Cam Chancel were on the field together ever. So... We weep. Getting emotional. So the Seattle Storm lost in the first round again. <laughs> they did get some good news before the season. Is Lauren Jackson? When they, let, became... when they laid me off. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that was the best move they ever made. <laughs> Lauren Jackson became an unrestricted free agent for the first time and seriously weighed leaving the Storm for Phoenix before re-signing in May. She was healthy much of the season, but was ruled out after stress fractures in her back were discovered late in the regular season. Storm still finished second in the West at 20-14, and 14, but without Jackson, were outmatched against L.A. in the first round, needing a miracle finish with a stolen inbounds pass and go-ahead layup with five seconds left to force Game 3 of that series at home and losing that one 75-64. Also on the basketball front, 2009, really the end of 2008, but we're counting this as the 2009 season, the Blazers became our local team with the departure of the Sonics. And it was a good time to jump on the Portland bandwagon as they returned to the playoffs for the first time since 2003 with 54 wins, their most since 2000. Greg Oden, in his rookie campaign after missing his first year due to to microfracture and knee surgery, played 61 games, averaging 8.9 points and 7.0 rebounds per game. And Brandon Roy enjoyed the best season of his career, voted All-NBA second team. He had an OT game winner versus Houston in the second home game of the season and the second game that I attended down in Portland uh, is a member of the quote-unquote national media. Uh, and then a career-high 52 points against Phoenix in December. The Blazers hosted the Rockets in the first round that year but lost the series 4-2. I think this was a brief period of time where I was actually, it was actually our Blazers for me because I had Brandon Roy. And also, Tristan mentioned this, Martel Webster got an extension on opening night, a, a story that uh, created the friendship between Ben Gulliver and I. Wow. times. You became friends because of Martel Webster's extension? Well, so what happened is that happened on the night of opening night, which I think was probably Halloween because that would have been the deadline. Uh, we were at the Sounders match. Yes. <laughs> 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 uh, 
you're the, you're in the future at the Saturn's match. Uh, I had open BlazersEdge.com, which he was writing for at the time, and was reading about the Mar- his story about the Martel Webster extension. He was sitting next to me. He was like, and that started the conversation between us. <laughs> he's and, like, like what you're reading. <laughs> he, he's always giving me that shit about me. like. You wouldn't just ask me about it. Just you had to read the site sitting next to me. Uh, but but infamously that night he asked me what I thought about Sam Presti, and I it was like the longest pause I have ever given before <laughs> answering a question. <laughs> it was like that extremely long pause that we had earlier. <laughs> yeah, very similar. Very similar. <laughs> uh, I, you were match, you were just trying to give Katie some space. Be- <laughs> Be Shouts to Blazer's Edge. Always. Uh, should we talk about music? Uh, I just don't feel like we've really... the Our Blazer's thing, I mentioned this last week, Katie. You, of course, didn't listen, because as Peltoncast MVP, you never listen to the Peltoncast. Oh, uh, I've been very busy. You've been Are you? very no. busy? No. <laughs> I just I explained that there's nothing fun to be doing right now, and you can't be driving or doing anything of fun, and that's what. There's I mean. one thing fun to be doing. What's that? Listening to the Pelton cast. Oh well, I. It's a versatile activity. You can do it, you know, various housework, anything around the house, and <laughs> staying several feet away from anyone else, even in your own household. <laughs> Listen, I don't just don't have the mental energy right now to be listening to you people. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have the mental energy to join us on the pod. Us people. <laughs> I just, you're very busy. The internet is not gonna read itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. No, but when you were talking about our blazers, or so I think you had some sort of point. Or something. oh, we were talking about the draft lottery, and. The previous year, when the when the Northwest went one and two, and I remember talking to you, and you're so fired up that the Blazers got the number one pick, and then I was like, "What pick did the Sonics get?" And you're like, "Number two. <laughs> but it was like the conversation that we had was around what pick the Blazers got, not the Sonics. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. Oh, huh. Well, yeah, because Brandon Roy. First off, Katie's in no position to dispute that right now. What? She clearly does not remember two thousand nine. No, 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 no. Oh my god. I don't know how you guys for specific years. It's crazy to me. Everything is just one giant blur. It's the events that happened in the specific years. It's remembering exactly where you watched the games. Yeah, that's (laughs) I didn't mention by the way that Olinda Mari game, I think that was the only Seahawks game I attended that season. Oh, you were. I definitely the- was there. Yeah, I was sitting in the. I was sitting in the Hawks' nest. I think I was, or maybe in the three hundred <laughs> level on that you, end. You put, would... you put the accent on the wrong word there. You do. You pulled a Jan. <laughs> <laughs> Which one did I accent? You accent a nest. <laughs> <laughs> the Hawks' nest. <laughs> Is that worse? Forever heretofore putting the accent on the wrong word or the wrong syllable would be called pulling a Jan. <laughs> Groupon. <laughs> I see why Candy is the MVP. The episodes are very good when she's on. Did you hear what the what the word was that you were just pronouncing? Katie, did you hear that? 
Paul Allen? No, the Al just pronounced. What word? What? 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 Groupon. <laughs> That's what Jan, Jan pronounces Groupon like it's Groupon. <laughs> she really does. She puts the accent on the P. <laughs> Groupon. I've tried to explain it so many times that it rhymes with coupon. <laughs> It's also how she pronounced Quincy Pondexter's nickname. <laughs> My mother-in-law likes to call LA Fitness Law Fitness. <laughs> <laughs> Law Fitness. <laughs> Man, we I always think of Lamarca to pronounce Chipotle, Chipotle too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chipotle. Chipotle. <laughs> I I actually like pronouncing it Chipotle. Oh, I would no, never do it in public. That was, but. That was an honor, an homage to Jan. Quesadilla. You do that in private. You use those words in private. Quesadilla. <laughs> Chipotle. Anyways, so you music. the hawk's nest. <laughs> this this also... I didn't have any more about that story. Two, 2009 was my first year with season tickets to the Seattle Seahawks, if you will. Well, there you go. Was there a year where you didn't have season tickets in there? I didn't there was a year where Chris tickets. didn't have season tickets. Yeah, Chris and, and I have both taken a year off. <laughs> I think me, because I just couldn't, I literally just could not get my shit together enough to say that I wanted to, like, call the Seahawks or whatever and ask to be put on the account. Because paperwork is not a strong point of the Fabius Paltin brothers. And then there was another year that Chris... <laughs> I needed somebody else to do it for me, and nobody else was willing to do it for me, so... <laughs> Uh, and then one year, Chris thought he was moving, so he didn't have tickets. Uh, so, yeah, you know, we're even now. He had to sit all alone. I think this was 2010. It was, well, yeah, it was the first Pete Carroll year that I didn't have season tickets. Right, and so he had to sit all alone. year you did, and then the, the year you didn't. It's probably refreshing. I don't mind sitting alone with games. No, it was, the, it was the second Pete Carroll year. I was I had season tickets for the first year. I was there for the Beastquake, and then I skipped the Tavares Jackson year and came back for Russell Wilson. So well, that was pretty good timing. Yeah, that worked out. <laughs> but don't spoil future. Remember some years. I don't want to give away the ending. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> yeah, someone, someone asked me if I knew it was in the next Last Dance. I was like, well. I got an idea. They they win the championship and then Jordan retires. Okay, wait. This is a question for Katie if she remembers this, of course. No. The def, the defender just now. The defender who Michael Jordan hits the last shot of his career over. What is his name? Craig Elo. I don't know. <laughs> he was on the Jazz. Uh, sadly, Craig Elo's career had come to an end after his time John in Seattle. Stockton. I don't know. Is this something I'm supposed to know? You, you're trying to get it. Uh, the difference between Brian Russell and Byron Russell? I legit thought his name was Byron Russell. Well, we always would chant him at that, chant that at him during games. The, there was a podcast that Simmons and Russell were doing where they were like, name an average player from the 90s or whatever. And Simmons goes, Brian Russell. And I'm like, who the fuck is Brian Russell? <laughs> I was like, I think he was a safety for the Vikings or something. But Brian Russell was a safety, yes. I went and looked it up where I was like, that's wrong. His name is Byron. And then I was like, oh, no shit. Apparently his name is Brian. Brian so, also played for the Seahawks. Did you know that? I, I do remember him playing for the Seahawks, yeah. He was on the Browns for a long time. Ah, uh, right? two seasons. 
Vikings was were his primary too. They were, look, we know everything this, about that Brian Russell. This is, and you don't even remember 2009, Katie. This is something that I was supposed to, like, people know who Michael Jordan hit his last shot over? Uh, yeah. uh, Most uh. people know that. I mean, I don't know how many people, but people do know it, yeah. Nope. That is not just curious. in the memory hole. I was curious if you remembered him as Brian or Byron. I do not remember him as either. <laughs> <laughs> you remember him as Craig Gila. <laughs> it's actually so much more insulting to Brian and or Byron Russell that you remember him as Craig Gila. You know, well, yeah, probably yes. <laughs> Can we talk about music now? Uh, we're not talking about my storm tenure. We're just going to yada, yada, yada over that. Yeah, haven't you already told this story enough times <laughs> on the podcast? Okay, fine, fine. Yeah, you got fired by the storm. You actually didn't get fired. You got laid off. You said didn't replace your position, but on the last day you were asked to leave because you wore shirts and ca- shorts, <laughs> shorts and Karen Bryant shirts, multiple shirts, shorts, and and Karen Bryant asked if this was an fu to her. Is that the question? Am I remembering right, that correctly? You told the story. We're good. Okay, good. Yeah, that's it. So in two thousand nine. We have the debut of the XX with XX. Do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, I didn't listen to them at the time. <clears throat> okay, so I, that's interesting. I didn't listen to them at the time either. I don't know exactly when this was. I, but the first time I listened to the XX is Sue Bird. She used to do these chats for the Seattle Times, and they would, like, come in and set up in our conference room and I would transcribe things for the chat. Like she was she was just saying her answers and I was transcribing them. And someone asked her about music and she recommended the Notorious XX. I was gonna say I thought you were gonna bring up Notorious XX. Yeah, it's very similar to like how I got into the black album through the gray album. Same thing with XX through Notorious XX, which of course is a matchup mashup of Biggie and the XX album. And is great, for the record. I, why is it that I, which is great? All of it. Is yeah, great. all three, all three parts. Okay. Everything is great. Why is it that if I hear a mashup today, that I would take my throw my phone and throw it into the ocean? But in two thousand nine, I was just like, this is this is perfect. I was like, I'm all still here for mashups. Be an indie rock band mashed up with a famous rapper, and that's all we need. We're done with music. It's been settled. What year did that, I, that guy who does all the mashups have the girl, big... Girl Talk? Yeah. We've, well, we've already remembered to, it. Let's remember some years. Uh, you, would have, you would have heard us remember Girl Talk in the previous... Actually, multiple years. Yeah. But... Oh. Night River came out in 2007, is that right? I think it was six. And then he played those two. Block Party in both 2007 and 2008. There was just a lot of mashup listening. It's all we listen so there, to. So there was an EP that came out in 2009 by a young man named Aubrey Graham <laughs> called So Far Gone. And that began the Drake era, which still continues to this day. God, especially for you. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> I don't dispute that. I mean... Wait, does the, does the XX album have the song that we uh, that my husband and I used at our wedding on it? I gotta admit that I don't specifically remember. Probably intro. The intro. 
Yeah, that's the first yeah, song ever. The, yeah, it's the intro <laughs> to the album. Yeah, yeah, that's a I, yeah, good song. Okay. Yeah, you I mean, that at your wedding? Why well, didn't even know this? Yeah. Well, you right remember there. a lot about that night. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot, you know. That was 2009, wasn't it? Yeah. No. I have no idea. Oh no, your wedding was your wedding was 2009. Their yes. their wedding was 2011. No, their wedding is two years later or one year later. Two years later. Mm. Carcinio weddings only happened in odd numbered years at that point. Okay. Uh, best I ever had, though, that was like so ubiquitous at that point, really put Drake on the map. I remembered him as the person from Degrassi. <laughs> See, Did you actually watch Degrassi? Watch Degrassi? I, I definitely was aware of Degrassi. I mean, I think you were aware of it because everyone said, like, who's this guy Drake? Of and the they were memes. like, oh, he was on Degrassi. That's true. The memes were were a thing. Okay, also from 2009, Jay-Z drops The Blueprint 3 ahead of that tour that uh, we saw at Key Arena. And a fun fact about The Blueprint 3, I went and reviewed this. I am almost certain that it is the very last CD I ever purchased. Wow. Wow. Didn't you buy Chinese Democracy? What year did you buy that? That was 2008. We did not remember it. (laughs) It was not worth remembering. <laughs> I bought that just for the novelty. So I but think blue... this was the peak of my Jay-Z fandom. So I remember there was a time. So Jay-Z had retired, similar to me earlier in this episode. <laughs> and he came back and like wasn't really playing shows. I think this was before the 360 Live Nation deal. And he was playing a show in Vegas at the Palms. Right, and the tickets were yep. insanely expensive, and uh, it was over the Fourth of July. I think we went on the Fourth of July, and I was just like, "Fuck it!" Like this man not having children was awesome, but <laughs> I was like, "I think we're just me and Mrs. Fantasy Genius are just gonna go to Vegas on the Fourth of July and see Jay Z. Maybe we saw him on like the third of July, and then the fourth, like when and did Vegas stuff, but it was." Jay-Z wasn't touring. He had toured for a number of years at that point. And I was like, you know, there aren't going to be that many opportunities to see Jay-Z. And then, of course, Jay-Z has performed in Seattle like 30 so times. So many times, then. yeah. Uh, uh. And I've seen him most of those times since then, but it seemed so unique at the time to go. And then I think he probably announced the show that we went to. That was that fall. It couldn't have been that much later. But he, no. had, I think the Blueprint 3 wasn't fully out yet. Uh, and it was before that New York song hit, when it's called NY State of Mind or whatever. Um, yeah, I remember that midsummer. Like, I distinctly remember listening to that. Like, the Storm players listening to that in the locker room before every game. But uh, Jay-Z had been on a tour in 2008. It just didn't come to Seattle. Mm. Uh, but Death of Autotune, which I think that was the, one of the first singles from Blueprint 3. And I was like, oh, shit, hearing it, I was like, Jay-Z did it to him. Auto-Tune is dead forever. And then yeah. Auto-Tune's career has lasted longer than Jay-Z's. <laughs> oh, Jay-Z's oh, career no. still goes on. What are you talking about? Is this one where people started uh, really not liking it, Jay-Z? No. No. No, this was a good, this was a popular, very popular album. Popular, but... It, People didn't like Jay-Z previously on Magna Carta Holy Grail, right? Or no, no, no. That was not... after, right? Was that after? What was the one that had that Show Me What You Got song? 
Oh. Uh, that was making well, part of his, Holy Grail. Really? Had Kingdom, Kingdom Come was his last oh, Kingdom Come. solo album. Yeah, so people this. people started disliking him on Kingdom Come, and then people really disliked him on Magna Carta Holy Grail. Because I think that, that was the one that like you had downloaded on T-Mobile phones or whatever. <laughs> <clears throat> no, you're thinking of the U2 album. <laughs> Any time that you have a, an album that is immediately or only available to people on specific phones, which, thank God, does not happen anymore. You're just you're asking to become one of the most hated artists. I mean, both Empire State of the Mind. I mean, Empire State of Mind was everywhere, and then Run This Town was most places. See, and now I feel like people hate uh, Empire State of Mind, right? Yeah, because it got played too much. Yeah, it was too popular. That's true. Nixon, that's giving me high fives. Uh. I, and that's a deep album. Like I'm a big fan of Young Forever yeah. and A Star Is Born. Wait, I actually kind of hate Young Forever. I also hate uh, Young Forever. <laughs> I like that song. But, but it track. was it, it was Blueprint Three was pretty good, all things considered, and it was definitely Jay Z's return to like widespread popularity, where he became. It was Jay Z switching back to the Twenty Three? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the last album I had on here that I thought we needed to talk about from 2009 was Man on the Moon, The End of the Day, the Kid Cudi debut. Crush a bit, a little bit, roll it up, take a hit. <clears throat> and we talked about 808s previously as a groundbreaking album that sort of predicted the future. And I think Man on the Moon is definitely the other one alongside of those, where the next decade of hip-hop was extremely influenced by what Kid Cudi was doing at this time. Which Cuddy had also co-written part of. Yes. Yeah, Kid- I mean, it was just, it was a very different, like, than, he, he was a move further into, like, emo hip-hop, which Drake would obviously take over. Drake's, like, the mainstream version of it, though. Drake is, like, the maximalist version. You know, every everything that Drake does, ultimately, even if you respect him as an artist, is, like, it is f- to increase the popularity of Drake. Right, like he, you don't release the Tussy Slide if you're not trying to get like a fucking dance on TikTok. That's not the type of artist that Kid Cudi is, right? Like Agreed. Kid Kid Cudi has a little bit more of an artistic vision than somebody like Drake does, um, and I think you probably still. And this is not even I'm not even like really a Kid Cudi fan at all. But wait, you're not. No, I've like never. You loved kids see ghosts. <laughs> I, I like kids see ghosts. I oh. really like a song on kids see ghosts. Okay, okay. I enjoy the songs that he does with Kanye now. Or didn't he have Kanye in a couple songs recently? Yeah. Like they're, they're the only songs that I like off the new albums. So. Yeah, the, I think the, I think they're very good together. Uh, but I like I have never once sat and listened to Man on the Moon all the way through. Really? Yeah. But you love Eight Oh Eight. As recently as this weekend. Oh yeah. Huh. Who though watched the show with Kid Cudi on HBO? That was a show. <laughs> Only you. <laughs> <laughs> the show. I, I remember. I remember seeing the ads for it and be like, "Oh, Kid Cudi's on that show." 
and then being like, I should tune into that, and then not tuning into that. What was that show called? Uh, something about America, or oh yeah, New York, or oh, you're, you're talking about how to make it in America. Yeah, how to make it in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a show. Yeah, only you. Is that not- <laughs> never? No, seen no I think I think other people watch that. Well, That's we were pretty busy watching Entourage. <laughs> <laughs> no time for other. <laughs> Uh, any other 2009 music you want to highlight? I, I didn't go through and do the same sort of list of things of like, oh, this stands out and this stands out. <clears throat> but uh, I'm pretty sure that 2009 was the first ever time that I went to South by Southwest Music Festival in Austin, mm-hmm. Texas. And yeah, I've heard of it. I remember being at, I think it was the Mohawk which is one of the iconic venues in Austin, and seeing Mike Snow, and it was like... Ins- I'm sorry, is it, is it actually pronounced Mike Snow? You think it's pronounced Mike? I, I, I think it's diet. generally pronounced Mike. Um, okay. But it, there, it was a debate at the time. I still don't know the answer, because I have not thought about them since this moment. Um, oh, wow. But, I still listen to those songs regularly. Seeing that show was like it, it felt like we were seeing the Beatles before they were about like on Ed Sullivan like that was no, is, how excited is, people were about according that to show. Wikipedia it is pronounced Mike I've been wrong about this the whole time they're named after a Japanese director which is pronounced Mike but the band is called Mike huh uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that I'm right on that. <laughs> This is what I learned at South by Southwest in 2009. And I also was introduced in 2009 to Lone Star. So it was a pretty great great year. Contrary contrary to suggestions or statements to the converse, the spelling of Mike does not derive from the Japanese film director Uh. Takashi Miike. Uh, we just liked it and added the extra I because we liked the look at it. There we go. It was about white people trying to be cool. As with most things, there's no background to when white people try to be cool. They just did it. Uh, And also, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix. Yeah. Like, those songs, still to this day, they're, like, pop rock hits. This was, like, U2 in their peak, what Phoenix was doing at that time. I mean, Listomania, 1901. So a thing I did not know anything about until I was researching this is part of Let's Remember Some Years is that people did dance videos taking the dances from the movie The Breakfast Club and putting them to Listomania. And this was a big thing in 2009, including a group at Boston University that featured AOC. Wow. Oh, and that's yeah. why the Republicans hate her for that dancing. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely why that's the Republicans why hate, her. hate her. They, <laughs> but they they got very mad about the dancing. It's almost like Republicans were looking for something to be mad at her about. <laughs> <I don't>. <laughs> <laughs> Other, otherwise, Republicans would have loved her <laughs> if only she hadn't danced. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! <clears throat> yeah, I watched those and then watched the Breakfast Club. It was a, it was a good week. Did you actually? I sure did. 
I feel like my takeaway from 2009, like 2009 to me is year, the year that like, and maybe this was just my percep- perception, but it felt like the year that pop music, beca- electronic music became pop music. Definitely. Like when you look at the success of the XX, Phoenix, uh, Mike Snow, like all of those, among others, and then even just like the pop songs that were good featured more electronic elements that year. And obviously it has not changed to this day. Like all that music no, you're talking it was about, the start like, of it. Th- those artists could be equally as popular right now. I mean, the XX is still an extremely popular group, but like uh, Larue, also shout out Larue. It's definitely things that are like it. It feels very familiar to the type of sort of electronic pop that we would listen to now. <clears throat> um, okay. What about how co- like top singles of the the year two thousand nine? Do you have a list of them? What? Do you have a list of them? I, I do. I hope I'm reading this right because you guys didn't mention these people at all, so I don't know. <clears throat> The Black Eyed Peas had two of the top five singles oh, yeah. of the year. I mean, it was a it was a huge year for the Black Eyed Peas. I only put one of their songs on the playlist. Ooh, I put How and I got a feeling. That, I put I, year of I put I got a feeling. Yeah. Also, did did you mention it was a year of single ladies? Really, truly. No. Wait, is that, that's not the right year. I don't think. I swear, I'm listening. <clears throat> Billboard year <clears throat> and Hot 106. No, no, that came out in 2008. <laughs> It says it right here. On, I mean, maybe yeah. it was still popular in 2010, but it came out in 2008. Are we? Oh, I'm sorry, in 2000, it was still popular in 2009, but it came out in 2008. So we talked about I Am Sasha Fierce last week. Okay, all right, fine, fine. Well, on this yeah, list Katie. here, the song Knock You Down, you guys remember that? Or did you count that as 2008 too? By who? Carrie Hilson, and it had a Kanye West and Neo feature. You don't remember that song? Man. This is 2009. I opted against putting it. It was into a jam. It was a jam. I've got to go. Guess I'll do it now. I feel like I remember listening to that and being like, "Kanye is on this. I need to listen to this." But Kanye I don't. Kanye was on a lot of shit in 2009. He turned out. When was the American Boy? Uh... Oh yeah, Stell. Was that around this time? I'm still not sure what you're asking about here. You don't know when your American Boy came out? came out in 2008. Uh, you know wow, American we missed Boy? that. Man. You don't like, know the song, Al? I probably do. Oh, I probably do, but still I don't know if I need to remember it. Songs when you can just remember Kanye's verse because it's just, I don't know. She just sold out all the floor seats. Old Kanye. Uh, I mean, he had also had a year first that year on Forever, which was a, a big one. Another Drake showcase. Oh, right, right, right. I mean, I mean, nothing to y'all. Uh, and so far, Drake has had this shit forever. It, I mean, really, is, both of them have, I would say, persisted quite well, considering that it's been over a decade. Uh, just looking through really quick, I mean, the, the sort of, not, 
the debut of Dirty Projectors as being like a major force in indie rock with Bitte Orca uh, was a huge one in 2009. And then also the debut full length from, you talked about electronic music taking over, but Diplo finally reaching the masses in a huge way with Major Laser. Is when Guns Don't Kill People, Lasers Do came out in 2009. It was like, I, 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 I do agree with you that I feel like 2009 was one things. I mean, there still are like, you know, Vectimist by Grizzly Bear. There still are legendary dad rock records and indie rock records. But we're getting into the time period where those start fading to the background again. This, this almost was like, there was a period where I remember Jay-Z talking about, like, I like all music. I love indie rock. Where Jay-Z was talking about how... Like, he was influenced by Grizzly Bear. And every single year that started happening, less and less and less. And, you know, like, like the amount of times, if if Bon Iver happens now, he's not in Hawaii recording with Kanye. But it was, it was like things hit at the exact right time where these two worlds were able to exist, coincide with each other. And I feel like that just does not happen anymore. It's like the new Bon Iver's Rex Orange County or whatever. Sure. I'll take your word for it. But can we talk about Blame It by Jamie Foxx? <laughs> Absolutely we can. <laughs> what do you have to say about Blame It? <laughs> Did we miss Bonnie Bear in 2008? Did we miss Forever Forever Ago? Maybe. Wow. Okay. Maybe. How do you... Do you not care about this? <laughs> I feel like you of all people should care about Bonnie Bear. Eh. Wow. It's never really been my thing. <clears throat> I'll tell you who Rex Orange County is later. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so I want to take a victory lap when it comes to me. Or do you have more of the top ten from that year to go over, Katie? No, I didn't. I'm done. Capital Block Party, 2009. <clears throat> Vera Project stage. This was, I think I booked the entire lineup in 2008. 2009 definitely had like a, a little bit more of an ability to do whatever I wanted. And it was like looking back through the lineup, I was like, damn, this was a good lineup for the Vera Project stage. This was only two days at the time. This was not three days of Capital Block Party. Are you interested to hear some of those bands oh, that yeah. played the Vera Project stage Capital Block Party? Uh, do we have a choice? <laughs> I'll start with some of the smaller ones. Uh, Fences, who went on to international fame uh, as being yeah. being on a Macklemore song. Uh, Mika Levy, Mika Chu and the Shapes. Uh, Mika Miko, the group who eventually turned into a band called Bleached, uh, who are still a very popular band. Then we have successful Seattle rapper Saul. Yep, I remember that. Portland. Friend of the podcast? <laughs> friend, never been on the podcast, but friend of the pod. Oh, 100%. Uh, uh, Portland's very own Starfucker. From Vancouver, BC, ended up the, the next year releasing huge album for dads. That is Japan Droids. <laughs> they went opposite that year against Sonic Youth, which wasn't great for them. Uh, and also... Japan, Japan Droids made the 2009 playlist with Young Hearts Spark Fire. There you go. On the 2009 playlist... Uh, and then also the band who probably had 
maybe the biggest hit of any of the artists who played Capital Block Party this year. Uh, but Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros oh, yeah. played the Vera Project stage. You know, like Jesus Lizard and Sonic Youth played the main stage. But ultimately, Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros probably had a bigger song than any of them. I remember they rolled up in a tour bus, and the Vera Project, like, the parking was for a van. <laughs> and it was like, they were like, so where do we park the bus? And I'm like, I, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <clears throat> we had to take over main stage parking so that Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros could park. And I, at the time, like, I barely knew who they were before. I think this was slightly before that home song hit. Um, that was 2009, though. Wow, somehow I missed that. And now it has 420 million plays on Spotify. Because that's that's one of my favorites, so that definitely should have been in there. I, I screwed up. Add it to the playlist. It's on there now. <laughs> oh, wow. We're doing this it's in a, real time. Oh, it's a, living, it's, it's a living thing. You couldn't even be bothered. You're adding these songs to the playlist right now. You couldn't even be bothered to go to the stage that your brother booked in 2009. I don't know if I recall a specific offer. <laughs> Everybody you mostly just wanted me to, I was opening you, up the floodgates. You mostly just wanted me to show up to drive you home at this point. <laughs> Which I probably did in 2009. Oh, man. <laughs> just going to assume. This wasn't the year where you and Chris drank. Uh... No, that was last year. We discussed that on the oh, <laughs> podcast. Right, right, right. Uh, were you there backstage, Katie, while we have you? We can talk about this later. When Nacho Picasso played? Oh, again, not something I'm going to specifically remember unless there's some key, key element. Okay, do, do you remember walking... So the, the Vera Project backstage was always pretty calm. Like, there's no alcohol back there. Yeah. Never really gets crazy. And it was... Like, there was, like, a hip-hop end to the stage. This might, might have been 2011 or 12. And Nacho Picasso was headlining. And Shad played before then, I think was on a Blue Scholar song at one point, Toronto Rapper. And it was like the most people that I have ever seen backstage at the Vera Project stage. And I think it was you. I think it was you, me, Chris, and then maybe some other people like walked back and I was like, oh, my God, there are 50 people in this like eight by eight square foot area <laughs> and every single one of them was a cousin of nacho picasso's where he was like hey can you let in my cousin over here and i'm like just anybody who you want just tell them to come in don't find me when you need to find people to, when you need to let people in just and i think i told the, the person who was running production i was like look if they stay there with nacho picasso just let them in <laughs> I, I have no recollection of this but i'm quite possible that i was there it was quite late on a capital block party night so yeah. these recollections are uh, uh always pretty hazy but Very. we walked we were back there and macklemore walked in and it was just like oh my god there's so many people here and this is this is as described by chris maybe we should have him on 2011 and macklemore was like looking around being like holy shit there's so many people here i have no idea and chris was like he saw you <laughs> saw me and then came over to me and was like, okay, I'm good. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's maybe the, my, my greatest moment with fame in my entire life that Macklemore was like, all right, I'm, I'm good to be here because Tristan is here. <laughs> I, I think I remembered if Macklemore came over and talked to 
Did he talk to you? I don't know. Yeah, he came over and was like, hey. And I was like, you're good. <laughs> you're good to walk back here. And then uh, everybody carried on. Oh, I, I'd be uh, curious to listen to next week. So two weeks from now, three weeks from now, whatever. Will listen, it doesn't matter. Uh, with Chris Smith to find out if I was actually there or not. <laughs> it's always good to find out about your own life. Yeah. <laughs> right, so who else is on the Black Party stage? That, that was it as far as. That was pretty good for like 12 bands with, with a yeah. minuscule budget. Yeah. Some of them having like one of the biggest songs of the year. Like Starfucker is still a relevant group. Japandroids became pretty huge. Saul's still doing stuff. It was, like, it was good work. Were you, are you looking for an MVP award? <laughs> I think he is. Capital Block Party 2009 MVP. Oh, my God. You don't want it to yourself. Just put it on a shirt. <laughs> the vote <it> was unanimous. <laughs> I mailed it to you. <laughs> Bad news, I don't oh. check my mail anymore. I'm too concerned. Oh. <laughs> The risk is too high. Oh, All right. Speaking of hip hop in 2009, Bumbershoot. I I have so little recollection of Bumbershoot. I know that I went at some point, but when I look through the lineup, I'm just like, I I know that like so Katy Perry headlined. This was after I kissed a girl, and then I think that was the only like larger hit that Katy Perry had at the time. There's Shell Crow. I mean, hopefully, it was a long time after you kissed a girl. What? <laughs> Did you hit the pot again? <sighs> <laughs> Did you actually make your own drums there? I didn't, yes. Um, no. Speaking of hip-hop in 2009, on television, Community debuted... That was that was your transition? Where we learned <laughs> of a person named Donald Glover for the first time ever. That is true. It was, I, it was, it was in 2009. I was sitting, Chris Smith and I were doing a fantasy football draft. I'm pretty sure this, this was the first year of Community. And he was like, hey, did you know that Troy from Community has a rap project? And I was like, No. <laughs> and then he played me Childish Gambino for the first time ever. We were sitting there doing a fantasy football draft, and uh, I won the league, of course. And uh, <laughs> oh, he, he was rapping over, speaking of the mashups at the time, he was rapping over a Grizzly Bear beat and, like, didn't even turn down the vocals. Like, he didn't have the instrumental of it. He was rapping over Grizzly Bear with the vocals. This was how, and I remember just being like, wow, this dude is fucking awful at rapping. He'll never make it. I remember being very excited about Community. Oh, I mean, there's Dean Pelton, the most famous Pelton in TV history. A character named Pelton. Also, Joel McHale, who we've been following since his time on the 1991 Huskies. Not really, but since he was on Almost Live. Uh, And obviously loving on the soup. So we were pretty in on Community right away. It was the most famous Pelton on TV since your extremely sweaty appearances on ESPN. 
Oh, I had not been on ESPN by that point. I had only been, I don't think I'd even been on, on uh, I'm saying all NBC time, Sports Northwest. All-time rankings. All-time okay. TV rankings. Number one is Pelton TV rankings. Number one is Dean Pelton. Number two is you sweating on ESPN. Wait, wait, wait. What about Kevin Peltonic? Oh, <laughs> actually, sorry. You're pushed down to number three. Number two is Kevin Peltonic. <laughs> fair. That's fair. <laughs> From the good place for those who. <clears throat> Number three is you awkwardly interviewing basketball players and looking at the wrong camera or whatever. <laughs> when was I looking at the wrong camera? Didn't oh, you do that during that like developmental league oh, game yeah. that you did this year? Uh, I mean, there wasn't multiple cameras to look at at that point. Or, or having to be told through your microphone to talk louder. That well, that definitely was true. The the story you're thinking of is that I forget who whether it was yeah it was Jonathan Motley was like which camera do I look at and I, or where should I look at you or do I look at the camera? I was like yeah, I don't know. I've never done this before. Are you name dropping Jonathan Motley now? No, I'm not trying name dropping Jonathan Motley. <laughs> you're like yeah, I know J Mot. <laughs> explaining the level we're talking about here. Yeah. I'm assuming this is a basketball player. <laughs> he he is on a two-way contract with the Clippers. Wow! I just so community more earlier. Get to my level, Six, bro. Uh, oh <laughs> fuck! I'll find a place to beam drop at some point here. Guys <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> are gross. Do you want me to talk about how Wikipedia cites me for Brandon Roy's retirement? Oh my god! Does it really? It does. Do you have a Wikipedia page yet? No, I do not. So, Community, <laughs> six seasons, experiencing a resurgence right now because it just arrived on Netflix. Uh, Going to do a table read soon for, for charity. I thought they already the, did that. Uh, what did they all get together for? Uh, I'm not sure. They have not played the table read. I mean, oh. it's going to be on NBC at some point, like the... The other show that debuted on NBC in 2009, Parks and Rec, which was in the spring because that was a like they did a short first season before a longer second season where they started to catch their stride. Uh, and they recently did a reunion episode during the uh, the pandemic. So a lot of a lot of lasting effect of 2000 the, the 2009 NBC comedies. Katie, can I offer you a take about Parks and Rec from 2009? That I had or that you had? That I have right now. Okay, go ahead. Three words. Free Mark Brandanowitz. Oh, Brandanowitz sucked. The show gets so much better the second he was off the show. And they brought in Rob, Rob Lowe and Adam Scott and really just went to the next level. Do they let and... Brandanowitz be on the, on the live stream? He was not on there, no. Uh, sadly, Della Shrimp did not make it either. Wow. By the way, speaking of, I, we're going to cross over. We, we've got another TT that died, But a big year for Aziz Ansari, because both Parks and Rec debuts, and also he's in the movie Funny People. But the only thing, I've never seen that movie. The only thing I know about that movie is the ad campaign that involved a series of YouTube videos with Aziz Ansari's character in that movie named Randy with eight A's, which is the single funniest stand-up I have ever seen in my life. I stand by that. You should maybe go back and watch that again. Oh, it 100% I thought Randy with eight A's was funny, but like, 
the single funniest stand-up you've oh. ever seen in your entire life. All right, that might be a slightly exaggeration. Did you guys look to Aziz when he came to Seattle? Uh, I'm I, so I've never that. seen him in person. I think we were there together, weren't we? Didn't he talk about, or were we, I can't remember if he talked about how he hated so much people calling out Randy, or he made it part of his show. I can't remember. I think he might have complained about it, where people kept yelling Randy at him, and he was just like, oh god, stop. (laughs) I would embrace it. It's great stuff. Pretty sure people did yell at it at at one of the shows, so we like. No, probably not. No. No, no there you was were the, there. Would you embrace Me and Katie were there. There was an answer to "Would you embrace it?" The I would oh. not actually embrace it. Oh, I was like, <laughs> he's the guy who makes jokes about Kanye saying he made five beats a day for three summers. God, <laughs> stop talking about Randy, okay? More Kanye content. <sighs> uh, like, Two thousand nine also saw the short-lived run of the Tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. Oh, right. And uh, maybe that year or maybe some other year. I it was 2010, <laughs> but we'll count it here. Conan O'Brien live show, which came to Spokane, Washington. It also came to Seattle, but I accidentally bought tickets for Spokane. <laughs> Wait, I didn't know this part of the story. <laughs> and so we drove down and uh, met some friends of Ben's and... Uh, went to the show and I don't remember shocker here much from the show, but I do remember there was a lot of guitar playing by Conan O'Brien at his live show. And, uh, yeah, that was the legally prohibited from being funny on television tour. That's right. For Conan. This was a bit after, right? Cause he did that when he was right. I mean, the last at- episode of the tonight show was in 2010. That, that, Tour took place April to June 2010. Sad, depressed, and playing a lot of rock music. Other movies in 2009. The Hangover was a phenomenon. I remember going to see that at the old Renton Theater. R.I.P. Did we go to that together? I would assume so. It would be very weird if we went to that <laughs> separately. <laughs> the other show, movie we were so excited to go see. It went to the very first night. This was in Okay, I, I didn't see this in the notes, but... Yes. Notorious. I I like I still have a vivid memory of that night, including the fact that Jameer Nelson of the Orlando oh, Magic got injured that night. Big big uh, effect on the NBA championship run, but uh, definitely notorious first night in the theaters. You remember that one, Katie? I think you I, was there. I was there. I was there. I do not remember a thing about the movie. <laughs> But I, I think we went think. to Stanford's beforehand or something like that. Stanford's? That I don't remember. No, it probably wasn't Stanford's. It was the other place, but I can't remember what the other place was anymore. The other place that was some <laughs> shitty place that had a happy hour. It's the place that's a buffet now. It's an Asian buffet now. Did we go with your mom? No, for I don't once think we didn't that go with Jan. She was <laughs> injured in the... I don't think she was interested in Notorious. Notorious! But she would have been interested in a happy hour. That is true. <laughs> uh, she just may not have been invited to that part of it. That movie. <laughs> I have, I've definitely not seen it since the time that we went and saw it on the first day. So it's been 11 years. But I, I just have like a vague remem- memory of 
Puffy playing the, like, Lip'n'Tume Juicy Fruit song, and then Biggie just being like, okay, I got it. <laughs> it was like what it was basically the same as that Queen movie where they're like, okay, it's gonna go like this, doom 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 doom, and then all of, a, <laughs> all of a sudden they're just like, here's a perfect song instantly after that, mixed and mastered in the studio, and you're like, okay, great, that's how music works. But that, that was the only scene that I remember is Puffy being like, this is gonna be the track, and then it sounds immaculate right when Biggie is rapping it for the first time ever. So, that's how music gets made. My main memory uh, is of his interactions with Lil' Kim, who, it turns out, like, I realized many years after the fact, is played by the uh, the woman from Power now. Oh. So, there you go. Yeah, it all comes together. <laughs> I don't know if it does. Okay, DJ All Youngin. <clears throat> Anything else from 2009? So... My wedding was in 2009. That is correct. Well. There was a lot of Bruce Springsteen we danced to. Did we? Just to, Yeah. Uh, I mean, we talked about the songs at the wedding a million times. Uh, but we weren't going to have a toast of any kind. I don't know why exactly. Um, but our Uncle Paul uncle as you would pronounce it our uncle paul had <clears throat> came through with like 40 bottles of mead that he made oh man <laughs> just cases of mead and we were like all right fuck it we pivoted in the moment and decided to do a toast with mead which people drink like it's wine but it's actually like has twice as much alcohol as wine and is so sugary i mean it's basically champagne and I, in that moment, I, everybody was standing around in a circle, and I had a microphone for some reason. It was like, they should have never given me a microphone. And I remember there was, like, a lot of wooing and calling things out, and we drank so much mead. Yeah. It was not a good choice, in retrospect. Oh, I Katie's, flew Katie's to Mexico. brother in particular. My poor uh, little brother. Uh, this was... How old was Moogle? <laughs> not not a bit. No, not not old enough to discuss on this podcast. Okay, so, but all but also that's a a moment where he was like, God, people were wasted at that wedding. It was awesome. Uh, we had, I think we got three kegs and a lot of wine. I remember there was a Bud Light, I think it was Bud Light, Rainier, and Blue Moon were the kegs. And I went and picked them up in the morning. And then I gave them to Chris Smith. And I was like, take these kegs to the south side and have a party after. Have an after party. And that's exactly what happened. And they took the wine from the wedding that was left over, which Jan oh. had purchased. Oh, dear. And I'm pretty sure Jan rolled up to Christmas house, to Big John Nizzle's house in SeaTac to reclaim the wine because <laughs> she was so upset. And I was just, I was like, take the wine, just go and have a party in SeaTac. It'll be excellent. And Jan was, fear she like still was probably upset about this oh, yeah. if I bring it up oh, to 100%. her. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and blames Chris and not you. <laughs> Oh my god! And I think they polished off the uh, keg. 
Uh, I remember... Oh, go ahead. No, no. I just want to know if you would still pick those same beers. Absolutely not. Okay. I mean, I would I would pick some of those same beers. <sighs> Which of those beers would you pick? Rainier. Oh, you had a Rainier. Okay. If, if I were to curate three kegs again for a wedding, uh, I would have Rainier and probably Johnny Utah, and then maybe I'd mix it up with, like, a San Juan seltzer. Oh, yeah. yeah. You wouldn't force a, a sour on everyone. <laughs> oh, God. I would have a Goza just for me. I'd be like, it's salty and sour. <laughs> that would be great if Dr- you just... Drink up. <laughs> at all sours. <laughs> I wouldn't attend the wedding. Oh, my God. Uh, <clears throat> I remember hearing a story about Reese, who came to the wedding, third partner brother Reese, and him saying that, because he was living on Vashon with his parents at the time, and he was driving an old pickup truck, and him driving his old pickup truck after the wedding, and he had two giant bottles of wine. Because Jan doesn't buy normal size bottle bottles of wine. She buys the large bottles of wine, because you got to look at it per ounce. You know what I'm saying? And uh, him rolling up to a party on Vashon with, I think, two giant bottles of wine, being like, I've got wine. And she showed up thereafter. I was like, that's the kind of energy that I want to have happen after my wedding. So I felt like it was a success. Yes, it was very successful for you, but not for Michael. <laughs> or Jan. It wasn't Jan who lost her mind. It wasn't successful for me, who was hungover all the way to Mexico the next day. <laughs> so you guys actually did your honeymoon the old-fashioned way right after you left. Oh, there are so many stupid things that we did that, again, I would not do now. Or I'm like, I won't be hungover after my wedding. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the flight left at like 7 a.m. Oh, God. It, it wasn't like it was a late flight. I, I it's I was so stupid about so many things in 2009. <laughs> like the process of just planning. I'm so much better at planning for things now than I was then. Although I did book a flight out of Oakland when we were at the uh, at the Count the Dings live show at like an insanely early time. I remember <laughs> <laughs> this was last year, so I don't know. <clears throat> no, I don't think hey, there. You joined me. There aren't that many flights out of Oakland. Uh, but I don't know why we decided to do that. That was a bad idea. But it was a great wedding. Yeah, good wedding. Good, great wedding. Great wedding. <sighs> And I, I definitely was hungover literally until we got to, like, the hotel that we were staying at in Mazatlan. <sighs> anyway. So 2009. Uh, thank you, Katie, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It is truly an honor. <laughs> sure sounds like it. Um <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can have you back for another segment to tell you about some years uh, to re- remember some moments that you were a part of for you. And yeah. thanks for listening. Thanks. Thank you.